I'm Morgan Tioka. This is the Challenge Her podcast. This is the Challenge Her podcast. Hey guys, it's Morgan Tioka here from the Challenge Her podcast. I'm here today with my roomie, Asako Ono. Hey guys. <laughs> I um I got a request and see I bo- I bother Digi for everything from like, you know, we need snacks to uh, where's my keys. So for Digi to tell her story, I think it's very important, but I also have uh haven't gone and asked her yet because I just felt like I constantly <laughs> ask her for everything. Um, but yesterday, one of our teammates from Easts has asked for Digi to tell her story. It's very special. So thank you for coming on my show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> We're constantly bothering each other <laughs> at home. So for her to be patient with me for probably about, an hour is definitely <laughs> a very thankful experience. <laughs> um, all right. So, little Digiono, tell us about where you grew up and family. Do I start from the start? Yeah. Okay. So, I was born in Tokyo. Um, I got a little brother who's a year and a half, well, a year and then 10 months younger than me. Mum and dad, and I've always <coughs> I've always lived with my dad's parents since I was four. Um, we were very close. Um, my dad's an only child, so my grandparents are really like close to me. Um, and um, I've always lived in Tokyo, this house, since I was four. Um, so is it a house like right, like when people think of Tokyo, yeah. I feel like when you're Australian, you just think of like the ridiculous like high rise buildings everywhere. Yeah. Is so it it's, um, it's like that in the city, but when you go maybe like 15 to 20 minutes outskirt of Tokyo city, it goes into like a residential area. Like where, suburbia. Yeah. And then it's, um, the houses are usually like double story yeah. house and then Every now and then you see like three or four level um, apartment buildings. But my house is, um, it's not big, but it's three levels. Um, the bottom floor is for my, was for my grandparents. And my grandfather passed away when I was young. And then my grandma's always lived there. And then the, the middle one was our floor. And then the top floor was um, a little rooftop. And then my mum and dad's room. Um, I don't remember spending much of time at home because we were always out with school. So I'll leave home at like 6.30 or whatever. I catch a train, um, no, trains to school. How many? What do you mean? Trains. I caught two trains minimum. But if I wanted to get to school like 10 minutes earlier, I would have like hopped off and then jumped on the express train. So that mm. would have been like three trains. Yep. Um... The fun fun fact, I've caught a train. No, I've caught trains to school since I was grade one. So like <laughs> that little, is tiny little digi catching a train to so school. crazy. Um, luckily my dad's, uh, my dad is a teacher at my primary school. So he always walked me to school. But on the way home, um, I'll walk to school, uh, I'll walk from school to the train station, give my mum a call and say, hey, I'm at Shibuya station. I'm jumping on the train now. And then she'll meet me at 
the local train station. Or she'll be like, okay, well, I'll see you in 45 minutes. Oh, my gosh. And then, Should you know. we, Yeah, so it's like the one of the yeah. busiest Yeah, so stations. you know where the famous crossing is? Yeah. Literally on the other side of the train track. That's where my school was. So for those who don't know, that's the Tokyo Drift Crossing yes. that we all watch. <laughs> <laughs> when you Google Tokyo or the Shibuya yeah. Crossing, yeah. that's that's the image that you yeah. get. Yeah, so my school wasn't on that side, so I was never on that side of the town. But then on the other side, which is more like a businessy um, area, um, yeah. So I walked about ten minutes from the train station to get to school, and then that was me every day from grade one all the way to grade ten. And then, and then um, when I was in grade seven. Yeah, one of my dad's colleague um, gave me this brochure that was just basically like um, expression of interest for under-17s women's rugby team, like tryout. Mm. And no rugby experience required if you want to try out, come and try out. And he's like, it's silly if you don't go. Because I was always like athletic one of everyone. Yeah, And I was like chasing basketball or... I didn't really play rugby, so I didn't know anything about rugby, but I was always like, like, yeah, running around and doing sport and I hated losing. So I was always like in the winning team. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then so I went and there was more like, you know, fitness tests, sprinting tests, like medicine ball throw. Like it was more like a modified netball game and stuff. Yeah. And because I was like naturally – sporty yeah so things were quite easy for me except like fitness and sprinting and bit um and I was a lot bigger than any other girls yeah so they picked me for the first round of selection and then I had to find a club to play for yeah so I can actually learn the sport but my mum always said rugby was for my little brother and fun fact <laughs> I did um the button dancing thing at school the baton, the ba- baton. Is that, yeah, is that what it's called? Yeah, like the silver, throw. silver like stick with yes, the white end. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't get to the point where I get to throw, but then like in primary school, from like <laughs> grades grade three to grade six, I was in that. Like, thing. have you seen Miss Congeniality? Yes. You know the the like nerdy friend that ends up winning. You know yes, she does yes. the, the talent quest, and then she's just oh like, my god, I can do better than that. That was so funny. Yeah, so that that was that was me, and then um, so she was like, "Oh, you, I don't want you playing rugby." Yep. And um, but then as soon as I got in, she's like, "Okay, well, I guess you're gonna have to find somewhere to go." <laughs> but then you didn't. She didn't want me going into the because our school had a rugby club mm-hmm. attached to the school. Yeah. Like it's like a um, after school sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's like, "Oh, you know, it's for my brother. Uh, it's for your brother, so I don't really want you." taking over yeah and then it was for boys and there was no other girls so I was like okay that's okay I'll just look for the local club and then around about that time they opened this new rugby club locally attached to the university um or said that university to one of the I think it's like a Japanese version of Ivy League you know it's like a smart university yeah okay yeah um so yeah they put me through that and they were really worried that there were no other girls showed any interest in playing. And I was like, no, nah, it's all good. Like, I'm so used to playing with the boys and yeah. chasing the, um, you know, chasing the basketball or whatever. 
Yeah. So that's how I started. Um, and then I was playing a game because I was allowed to play with the boys. Mm-hmm. Um, we played against over 40s father team, yep. like old boys team. And then I did my first ACL in that game. Um, that was kind of like a start of my journey of learning human bodies, I guess. Yeah, okay. Wow. Um, I was grade, I was in grade eight. No, I was in grade seven mm-hmm. when I first did it. Um, they thought I was too young to get recon, but they looked at my x-ray and they're like, oh, actually your growth, what do you call it? The line, the growth spur line or whatever, mm. the bony. There's a line, like a certain line that, that disappear once you hit that certain like age. age yeah um so they're like oh it's it's gone so if you want to get surgery it wouldn't affect your growth I was like yeah that's fine I'll just get it fixed so yeah. I had surgery for the first time and then um because of the Waseda University Rugby Club I got to see like a top physiotherapist and the sports doctor oh, awesome. yeah and then um he took me through rehab and all with I didn't know anything about rugby at that time, but yeah. then I was rehabbing next to like top league players, <laughs> but I had no idea. So yeah. I was just like, you know, whatever. Straight after school, go to the physio clinic and yeah. then did all the exercise and then all that jazz. Anyways, um, the following year, I was about to come back and play contact. Yeah. And then I was playing in the touch, like a warm up touch game, and then I hurt my other knee. So I had to do the whole thing over, all over again. So you hadn't even come to Australia yet? No, that was before I came over. Oh, I thought that you'd done That was in Tokyo. Here. No, so first two were done in Japan. So I did the, all the rehab and stuff like that. And then um, my physiotherapist was the reason why I started looking at moving over. Coming over. Yeah, coming over here. Because he all, not always, but he used to just, you know, do the English, like a TV, English course kind of thing yeah and he was like trying to talk to me in English but I had no idea I was one of those kids that would just go to school just so then I can play yes so I had like I was no real interest (laughs) no interest in passing English or being able to speak English really but then like he was like look if you want to do sports science if you want to learn human bodies and sports and sports science and all that jazz you need to go to Australia wow and I was like why and he's like, well, look, there are – I can't remember exactly, but he said Australia has one of the top, like, a quality sports science yeah, right. um, studies. Um, and then he used to take, like, three months off work and then just go over to Australia and then take a semester. Yeah. Um, and then, like, you know, I was just, like, watching him – do that and I was like oh okay well maybe I can go to Australia and then take that study and play rugby at the same time and then um yeah when I hit grade nine so grade six grade nine grade 12 are like a pinnacle year of your school years Mm -hmm. because you go grade six is the end of the primary school and grade nine is the end of the junior high school yeah and then you had to look at like where you wanted to go. And then every time you hit that age group, you need to take this massive test to get into the, the next, next stage. stage. But I was lucky enough to be in this, like we call it escalator school. Mm-hmm. So once you're in, you're pretty much guaranteed to go all the way to university without having to have any 
um, any of the exams. Mm -hmm. So thanks to mum and dad for putting... You in a good school. Yeah, in the good school and paying lots of money to make sure that I get the good education. Um, so at, when I was in grade nine, I said to mum and dad, because I had to write like where you'd like to go, what your plans were next year. I took that form home and then said, look, I think I want to go overseas. They thought I was joking, obviously. <laughs> like <laughs> I was like getting D plus C minus in English. Yeah. And they're like, you haven't even gone overseas by yourself. Yeah. Like, you haven't even like looked at uni- like schools or like, and you're not you know. Passing English. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, you <laughs> need like, to at least go year 10. Yeah, okay. In Japan and then you need to prepare for it. Yeah. And then by the end of year 10 and you still want to go over, then you can go. And I was like, okay, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> anyway, so grade 10 um, in summer, like August, mum sent me over here for three weeks. So because dad is a teacher, he had some sort of like a parent connection, connection um, that – um, one of the family whose father is a Japanese um, great man, um, he's our son, and Leslie's son is a wife, mm-hmm. she's Australian. Um, so mum and dad sent me over here yeah. to stay with their family members because mm-hmm. they, were, they were in Japan. So I stay with um, the family friend of Leslie's son and his son's um, that's Mary and Kerry for for the first week. Um, Mary oh, and Kerry, Malini, yeah. Oh so they were gosh. in Marichador for the for um, wow. so the first few years that I met. Um, so I stayed with them for a year. I had no idea what Mary was talking about. She's an ESL teacher, so she was like really good with like talking to me really clearly, like breaking things down and talking yep. slow and stuff. But even then, like I had no idea what she was saying. Yep. And then I was like, yeah, a week gone, and then. <laughs> they organised me to go to Shafton College down the mm-hmm. road from where we live. Funny. Yes. Um, and I was there for two weeks and I hated every single moment because they put me in the home with their family um, and the family wasn't really like nice family. And then I was like, oh, this is terrible. Like I literally cried every day and they rang Mary and I said, I want to come back to your house because I'm not having a good time down here. And then – she came and then grabbed me and then literally she was like, you know, now you ask her, they're like, I really didn't want to leave you at this homestay family because they were like filthy. They didn't look like they were capable to look after you. Yeah. And I was 15. So they were so like nervous for me that, you know, what's going to happen to me. Yeah. Fully. So when I rang her and said that I wanted to be picked up and then spend time with them, they were so like, they were happy to, you know, come and grab me. Yeah. So that happened and then that I think that moment was my moment that I wanted to come here mm-hmm. even though the Shafton College experience wasn't really great yeah, but, but then the family and then awesome. yeah and then like you know what they've done for me and then showed me around and Australian like just you know being here and um, I, I went back to Japan and I basically said like, yep I'm moving there I'm going and mum and dad's like yeah, well, well, um, we need to find money, and um, we just we'll just let the school know. That's crazy. It's crazy that your parents just like mine would be like, get a grip on yeah. yourself. <laughs> like you're, you're sixteen. <laughs> what are you thinking? Yeah, well, they'd just be like, like yeah. uh, you know, I asked to go play sport up in Brisbane when we lived on the Gold Coast, and they were like, 
know. Yeah. <laughs> so for them to have that faith, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I think um, because my mom grew up in New York for a few years yeah. and my grandfather had a job in New York. Mm-hmm. So I think um, my mum's side of family was like all up for like getting international schooling and yeah. stuff like that. So that was great. My my dad and my dad's parents were like, what? Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, and I was the only girl in this entire family. So my cousins, I've got three cousins, they're all boys. And then my brother and then it's me. So they're like... Sending your only yeah, girl family. To elsewhere is to like... Australia. <laughs> sorry, like, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so that happened. My mum and dad kind of like let me jump on the plane. Yeah. Um. So... That's when I started. I enrolled at Intrapilly State High School um, for, they called it SSPP program. It's called Secondary School Preparation Program mm-hmm. back then. Um, it was more like express tra- um, English sessions. Yep. Instead of going into an actual classroom with yes. the local students, they kind of put all the international students into one class. And then they taught us like how to do things like mm-hmm. with like, you know, book how to read a book or how to write essay or whatever I haven't changed much so I was just sitting in there and I was just (laughs) like I remember asking one of the Korean girls and be like what's the homework and then she will be like this one like this page is the homework and I was like hey sweet and I'll just do that and then that was me every day and then I caught a train to UQ every single day to play so, rugby. Yeah, I was part of the UQ Rugby Academy. So and they had, like, gyms. explain how you, like, rocked into UQ. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't remember exactly my first day, but I did meet um, the coaches on the very first day. I had the Japanese friend, um, actually a couple of Japanese friends who were involved in the UQ Rugby Club at mm-hmm. that time. So they helped me translate and, you know, introduce me to people. So that was really great. So there were boys there. Yeah, they're all boys playing Jap- Japanese. Japanese and then, yep, yeah, and then they're like, oh, here, like these people are here, then coaches. And um, anyway, so they were like, oh, okay, well, a girl is here to be part of the Rugby Academy and she's from Japan. They're like, okay, well, this is the academy and this is the gym, this is the field, this is the coaches, blah, blah, blah. And um, I think, I think it, oh, yeah, no, um, you had to be 18 to play. Yeah, right. And so you were it was, 16. Yeah, I was 16. And then I turned 17 not long after I moved here. But then it was just the 12 months that I couldn't play. So I was literally just training mm-hmm. to be ready to turn 18. So it was really cool. Um, like academy boys were really cool. They kind of made me feel welcome, and then they knew that I couldn't speak, mm-hmm. but then they were always patient. And then I just like trained with them, and then they like they were just so welcoming. Really, did you pick up the language as you went on? Like just spending time with them, they would sort yeah. of go over the same stuff. Yeah, over and, over and again. then I was really good at watching and learning, so I would just watch. And I'll listen to what the coach is saying, even though I had no idea what they were saying. I'll be like, oh, he must be saying this. And I'll jump in the drill or like in the gym situation. Like Mm. I'll watch the boys lift and then I'll be like, okay, this is what they're doing. And then I'll just jump in and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I turned 18 and then um, I started playing. But not long after I had a season, maybe I had a season and then I hurt my other knee. Yeah. 
So you've done at I've this done point two. you've done one on each. One and on each. Now yeah. you've done a, your a third one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, third one. And then because I was still it was still before I turned eighteen. Oh, I can't remember exactly. But I that mom and dad wanted me to fly over to Japan and get it fixed. Yeah. So um I took maybe like a second half of the term four off and then went back to Japan. And then um I had surgery and got it fixed and then because I was there for a long time, I got a driver's license too. And then um, I came back and then started doing the rehab. And then by this time, have you finished school yet? I finished school in 2009 and I was 19. I was okay. like two years older than everyone else. Right. Because I couldn't speak, they kept me a year behind. Yes, okay. So even though I finished year 10 in Japan, I had to repeat year 10. Yep. And then did year 11 and 12. Okay. Um, so when I got into year 11, I changed the school. I hated Indrapilly. Yeah. I didn't really get along well with the homestay family. Yeah. They're very academic. Where did academic. you go? Where did I go? Oh, where did I move to? Yeah. So I was at Indrapilly and then I moved to White Seal State College. That's right. Um, I, the m- biggest reason for me to move from one school to the other school was the school refused to put me on with the other family, like the different homestay family. Yes. Um, and then I didn't get along well with the homestay family and then I didn't feel really included. Yep. Um, and they didn't really support me with my sporting journey, even though they knew sport was my major reason why I moved here. Yes. Um, I still remember homestay mum said, um, you don't even understand what we're saying to you. You should be in your room studying every afternoon. And it was really sad. Yeah. Like I could, yeah, and I could understand, by then I could understand what people were saying, but I just couldn't talk. Mm-hmm. Like I could process it and I wanted to say things back to them, but then it was just not coming out. Yeah. And um, so I rang Education Queensland International. I don't even know how I did it. I had this electronic, dig- like a digital dictionary. Mm-hmm. And I'll like type in and get the words out and then like, put the sentence together and basically say, I want to change the school. My name is this. I go to Indrapilly and I want to go somewhere else. But it was a bit later in the year. So they go, you've only got Sunnybank, Whites Hill or Craigslee. Craigslee? Yep, Craigslee, yep. And I said, which one is the closest one to UQ? Because everything had to go around Roll rugby. Yeah. And then uh, they're like, Whites Hill. So I said, can I go and have a look at Whites Hill State College? They're like, yes. And I went and the first teacher I met um, was a rugby coach. <laughs> oh, how good. <laughs> and then, you know, half the time I had no idea what he was talking about. But then I knew that school was small enough that everybody knew everybody. Mm-hmm. And then the most important thing was that I could catch a train. Yes. Not train. I could catch a bus to UQ straight after school. Yeah. So I was like, yep, I'm coming here. And then they put me with this um, beautiful family, Goddard family in Karina. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up staying there for maybe two and a half years. Yeah. Even after high school, I didn't have to stay with the homestay. I was like, I'd like to stay here. So I stayed with them for ages. Um, that's probably how my English gotten a lot better than what it was. Yeah. A lot of people said that I sound very Aussie. Yes. Um, yeah, I think without them, I probably wouldn't have gotten where I am right now yeah so I'm very grateful school days was good I ended up getting OP4 I don't even know how I got that That's so <laughs> I good. winged it I winged it every day I winged it um 
But yeah, I really loved my maths and physics teacher. Yeah. So I think that's why um, my school wasn't so painful. Yeah. And then finished high school, didn't go to schoolies. I was already at UQ Rugby Club where the party was a thing after home game, <laughs> club well, you nights. you were graduating at 19. Yep. So yeah. So it's not like you were like the rest of us. <laughs> the rest of us had like a year break where yeah. we had to figure out that we weren't 18, <laughs> but we just finished school like we were 18. So Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I'm not going to school. I'm just going to go party with the UQ people. Um, so that was that. And then... Um, and so... Take us through like like five, ten minutes of your rugby journey. Okay. Um, <laughs> where to start? So my rugby journey um, only started because of my yes. fa- father's um, colleague yeah, pushing so me to get the test. Went to UQ. Yep. Went to UQ. Um, ended up doing like, you know, two more ACLs in Brisbane. Um but because I was surrounded by the people that were high achievers and that wanted the best care for me, they referred me to the doctors that were like the top notch. And for example, like the last surgery that I've done, um, I've got done, was done Dr. Myers, who does like wallabies, broncos, like, you know, top yes. level doctors. And then um, the physiotherapists, for example, like they were all like sports physios. So they make the injuries seem normal. Yes. Yeah. So they made my recovery a lot easier mm-hmm. for me to go through. Lots of people ask me, how do you go through that four times? But I guess like at the end of the day, I had the goal to be on the field and be the best yeah. rugby player I can be. Yes. Um, every single day was not easy, but it wasn't hard for me. Yeah. And I had the people around me to help me through. Yeah. Um, so that was that. And then one time I was like, I still remember I was walking across this athletic track at UQ. Mm-hmm. And this player called Tiny, we called her Tiny. That was her nickname. Tiny goes, did you, you made the team. Like, what do you mean? It's like, you made the Queensland team. And that was on my birthday, I'm pretty sure. And then I was like, you're kidding me. She's like, yeah, you made it. And uh, then, so like back then, like we didn't have so like iPhone or anything like that, so she couldn't show me. But she's like, "Yeah, you made the team." And then I went home and I opened up the website, and then my name was on it. They spelt my name wrong, but then <laughs> that was me. Yeah. And then uh, I think that kind of like got me realized that I can, you can achieve. I can those achieve things. those things. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, so that was that. Um, I have to give a special shout out to Mel. Yes, my ride or die. <laughs> um, from day one, she was always um there to help me. Yeah, driving to and from home. Like yep. she found out that I caught two buses home after the training at eight p.m. Yeah, she's like, "Are you serious? Get in my car now." Yeah, and then um, she used to drive me home, and then she used to pick me up, and you know, she helped me rugby journeys, and we both did ACL. We've got both gone through rehab together and everything. So yeah, that was good. Um, it was good to have someone beside me helping me through. Yeah. Um. So that was my first. Queensland experience and it was really insane because we had to raise money to represent the state and then we got only got one training shirt 
that we literally had to wash every day <laughs> and then train and then play at the national championship, which went for like three days. Um, that was insane, but that's all I knew. And then yeah. I was doing everything because I loved the sport and I mm. loved the culture and then I loved the girls and, you know, the support staff that were there. Yeah. Um, literally just there because they loved the sport. Um, so, you know, I kept trialling out for Queensland every single year. Um, I think it was like every second year national championship. And then the other second year was like rugby sevens mm-hmm. or something like that. I don't even know how I met the sevens team, but Mel and I ended up making the sevens <laughs> team <laughs> so for the very good. first time. And then it was it was great. It was a lot of running. And I, like by then I knew rugby sevens wasn't yeah. my thing. But it was really good experience, you know, running alongside such talented female athletes. Yeah. And I've learned a lot. Um. Yeah, so... Over the 16 yeah. years, what have you seen change in the sport? Um, I feel like when I started, it was a pure love for the sport. Mm-hmm. That it didn't matter whether the registration fee was $300 or registration fee was $600. We found our way to make it happen because mm-hmm. we... Loved the club, we loved the team, we loved our jersey that we all wore, yep. um, and then we played. And then we like I don't remember complaining about anything then, yes. other than the fact that I feel like I got hit by a bus yeah. or like, <laughs> you know, like oh my my neck hurts or whatever. Yes, um, we never complain about ground being uneven or like grass being dry or whatever. Yes. Um, as the level of competition increased, I feel like the what we asked for have increased a little bit more Mm -hmm. so like it's not that you know we are entitled to um or anything like that and we so deserve to be treated the same as what the premier rugby like you know premier team um have been treated um it's that equity it's yes it's not equality it's the equity exactly yeah like let us both have the same opportunities yeah. to succeed. Yeah. But we're not asking for the same thing. Yeah. You know, we're not asking to get paid the same amount, but we are asking, like, if you're going to provide, like, your facilities are opportunities. Yeah. Like, provide the correct facilities for us to be successful yeah. just as long as it's, you know, yeah, across the board. We're, if we're both succeeding, we're both able to get on the field. It's okay. Yeah. So, um. The whole time, like, you know, even myself being part of the rug- rugby academy at UQ, I've always paid for, like, the service that I was getting. So it was yeah. normal for me to, like, give to receive. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the competition got more intense and then more teams have been entered. And mm. it was so great. Like, I loved it. But then, like, you know, I started to realise that, okay, maybe – Maybe, like, you know, we deserve a little bit more. And then I started being, like, one of those people that, like, I want this and I want that and I want that too. Rather than, like, why do we – like, why do I do this? Like, Like the purpose. Yeah, the purpose. Like, I just felt like, you know, I was moving away from the purpose. And um, obviously, like, there are a group of people that are still doing for the love love of the sport. But at the same time, like, you know, part of me – why do I have to pay four hundred dollars 
to yes. train on this like a tiny little space or yeah. like you know it's like that but I think it's um, like I agree with you and I think you have a good point because you know I think it's just more it's more in the public eye and it's being talked about more so it's subconsciously it's always going to be around us now and I think that that causes it to be on our mind because you know you look at yourself um, and you look at all the other athletes out there and you say you know uh are men bigger, stronger, faster? Yes. Is that all that's got to do with sport? Mm. Like, are we making the same sacrifices? Yeah. Are we putting in the same effort? Like, that's what it's about, I yeah. feel. And, like, if you're going to the effort to, like, sacrifice and sacrifice for, to play for your state, yeah. you know, I think it's it's a fair point. Yeah. It's fair to be able to stand up and go, hey, like, we deserve the right to be successful we can't do it by ourselves. We have to sacrifice our family time. We yeah. have to sacrifice our jobs. We do all the same things. How is this not come into someone's mind when you're, you know, making those decisions? Yeah. And it's based on, you know, I understand it's based on like finances yeah. and um, the crowds, they get at games, yeah. but it starts somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's a good point that you make. And I think that our young girls coming through, I think it's really sh- strong that yourself, Kobe, a lot of the older girls are now sort of standing up and going, you know what, I love the game, yeah, but I also back myself. Yes. And I believe that we deserve to be treated True with respect. Same, yeah. 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 And then I still remember the day that, you know, we didn't get paid or we didn't get any recognition or anything like that. And then the only shout out or only time that we were recognised as a Queensland player was when the rugby club, like your own rugby club makes like a presentation night. Yes. And then they just mention it, even just a little mention, say like, you know, this person has a representative Queensland and this Mm. person has, you know, this person coached the Queensland or whatever it might be. Yeah. I still remember the day that the boys who made the um, NRC, like Brisbane City and the Queensland Country, got the shout out. Yep. And the girls who made the Queensland didn't. Yeah, wow. And then I still remember, like, making me – it just made me feel really sad. Yes. Like, all the effort and training that I've done, that we've done, that they've seen, mm. just didn't – it just felt like, okay, maybe, like, we're just not important good enough. enough. Yeah. We're just not important enough to be recognised. That's all I wanted. I just wanted to be recognised as, you know, your hard work had paid off, but that didn't happen. And then it was really sad. That's women's biggest shame (laughs) trigger. Yeah. I don't know if they realise that, but they, you know, sometimes they, I mean, like people who don't back women's sport. Yeah. That's what I mean by they. I'm not trying to say men. Men. Uh, (laughs) Just being they. Just they. But, um... I get that, that I would have the same feeling. Yeah. You know, it's a simple thing of field space or uniform or paying rego and just being like, hold on, like I sacrifice the same. I do the same. I work just as hard. I'm all about merit. I think we we both are. That idea of if I'm putting in the work effort, time, and I'm sacrificing my most precious commodity, which is time, you know, meet us halfway. Mm, Yes, 100%. Just try. Yeah. Because I think it's more they just don't ask the questions Mm. because it's it's always has been a bit of a man's world and luckily we have some good people out there. You know, Manny's a clear one who just is like really fighting for women's sport, which is really, really cool. But 
in rega- in regards to like coming back from injury, talk us through like mindset, mindset on the field, maybe what's changed with you over the last year. Yeah. Um, and sort of, I I'd say you're quite like an internal person. Yeah. So you don't want to upset anyone or like um make anyone feel you know stressed or worried about what you're dealing with Mm. you're quite amazing in that regard so like give us sort of a sense of what's going on internally in in regards to your mindset and sport yeah so um to be honest I really don't remember my first three ACL journeys Mm -hmm. all I remember is get up get there go through the hard work and the rewards will be there at the end yeah. kind of mentality. So I don't remember struggle. I feel like my mum struggled more because she had to pick me up from training session and drive me to the physio clinic and stuff like yeah. that. Um, probably the last ACL was the, the hardest one in terms of like, you know, getting my mindset right and, you know, pushing me to be better. Mm-hmm. I thought that I wouldn't go back and play sport. Uh, not sport, I wouldn't play rugby. Yeah. Until the day the mum messaged me and said, I don't see your name on the team list because she always checks the team list from Japan and, you know, go through the list of players who's played and who's scored and whatever. So she's like, I haven't seen your name on the team list. What's going on? Like, are you not going to go and play? And as I said, look, I've done four ACLs. Mm -hmm. Normal people will think of other sport to play after one and then mum said you went over to Australia to play rugby you can't play rugby when you're older you need to play while you can go mum <laughs> um so that pushed me to you know get better and play yeah that's really special yeah how cool to have people like that in your life that like make you believe in yourself yeah when things are going pear-shaped Because I think, like, you know, we all think we deal with – and I guess Beck said it really well in my first interview. She goes, you know, everyone has – everyone's problems are the biggest problems in their life for them at that moment, and that's totally okay. But at the same time, it must be so, you know, such an internal battle when you're just constantly, like, the world is just – giving me a bad hand after a yeah. bad hand and after a bad hand. But then I think we talked about this before, like you think about how many opportunities it's opened up for you. You know, one, the character, when people look at you, they're like, wow, like what a determined person. Yeah. And then the next thing they do is they look at like all the opportunities that have come into fruition because at that moment in that time you couldn't play, so you were actually putting time and effort into maybe connecting with people that you probably never would have connected with. Yeah. And just things like that, like those little tiny moments where you could have been out playing, but instead you actually were making a good connection with someone on the sideline who probably needed your presence more than you needed to be on the field. Yeah. And you just like you just don't think of those things, hey. No, like, you know, ACL, for example, like it's the worst thing that could – happen to any of the athletes but for me if I didn't have that I wouldn't I wouldn't have been here I wouldn't have met my physio in Tokyo and then you know he wouldn't have encouraged me to go over here or like I wouldn't have met rugby players that I met along the way or like you know I wouldn't I wouldn't have been here training 
yeah. and you know doing all those things so yeah like you think we wouldn't have been at 180 no. we, there's so many things that would have changed because you probably wouldn't have been doing those things you would no. have been at the the gym with the team yes yeah um consistently so you think about all the people that have come into mm. our lives thanks to those small tiny moments that yep. shows us to be there at that time but you know, I think we. I, every time I talk to someone and they tell their story, their identity shines through. Yeah. And their characteristics of determination and hardworking and uh, kindness. And I mm. think, like, how special. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess people do notice who you are oh, if yeah. they really, not like just paying attention, but if you're really being your like your true self and then people would see yeah for yourself and then they notice because I would probably wouldn't have even I don't even know like I wouldn't have gotten a job as a teacher if I didn't continue playing rugby like yep. you know the only reason I got the job at Ipswich is because the principal knew me as a rugby player yeah and then she he was just like you know we need the female role models like yourself to be the teacher yep. and then yeah fully yeah that's pretty special okay so are you ready for these questions all right they ask every mentor in this book of the tribe of mentors Mm -hmm. everyone gets the same questions and they all answer differently because they're all different crazy amazing people so the first one what purchase i think i actually know the answer because we roomed together (laughs) but what purchase of a hundred dollars or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months? <laughs> last six months. Yes. So, or in recent memory. Now, some of these guys cheated because I've read through a few of the <laughs> stories and they've said, well, it was a bit more than $100. So, but what has you, have you recently purchased that has had a positive impact on your life in the last six months? Six months. Holy hecker. Um... COVID mask, <laughs> a purchase from Tara, <laughs> yeah. Star Creative, um, made me a Yoda, baby Yoda mask baby Yoda that masks. made me really happy to wear. Um, Positively impacted. <laughs> I can think of one thing that's sitting on the la- next to the lounge that you use like every night. Oh, the <laughs> ice machine. <laughs> oh my God, that was, no, that was over $100. Yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> But can we just all shout out to (laughs) recovery legend herself for having her own ice machine? (laughs) Thank you, Heather. (laughs) Without her, like, selling that to me, that product to me, I wouldn't have been able to survive this recovery. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next one. What advice would you give to a smart, driven student who is about to enter the real real world? And what advice should they ignore? So what advice would you give Mm. and then what advice should they ignore? I'm going to go with the ignore one first. Okay. Um, Ignore what other people think you shouldn't do or what what other people think is a bad idea for you. Because so many times that people are like, how are you still playing? Like, why are you doing this? Like, if I let those people make my decision. Yeah, like impact your decision. Impact my decision. Like, no, just don't. Yeah, like, 100%. Only you know what you can. And 
to be honest, like I feel like I wish I had a stronger mental resilience to kind of block those voices. Yes. Um, so the advice is do everything you can to um, take up on like a personal development to get your head right. Because I play a lot of the yep, critics. Yeah, and then I play a lot of game in my head. I'm sure Kurt knows. Kurt and Carapetta both will know. I talk myself out of like, you know, difficult training session or like, you know, I, I let my mental game play big part of my game. Yep. And it affects me negatively. Yes. So if I was talking to someone younger yes. about to enter a real world, I will say do everything you can to get your head right mm. and be strong. And if you're strong up here and then everything else will follow. That was awesome. Mm. I think that's that you've given good advice and the watch that they ignore too. Okay, ready for the next one? Yeah. How has a failure or apparent failure mm. set you up for later success? Do you have a favourite failure of yours? I think my favourite failure, or I should say the least favourite failure, I think that's probably the same. But I let those, maybe I'm not good enough chat in my head, get in the way of me becoming who I could have been. Mm-hmm. So if I had the mental resilience or like I don't care what other people think kind of mindset that I had when I was younger. Yes. So like 15, 16, I was like, who cares what other people think? Who cares that they judge me for not being able to speak English and wanting to chase my dream? Like if I had that mentality like over the last maybe three years, I feel like I would have been – able to achieve what I've been working for. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that kind of mini head noise part of, like, maybe I'm not good enough, maybe my time's up. Yes. That believing. Yes. Believing that negative self-doubt. Yeah. And that would have been my worst, but also, like, worst failure moment, but being able to acknowledge that mm. is probably the best thing that have has happened. Has happened. Yeah, because like now you're so aware. Yeah, and I just need to figure out how to not let that affect you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's such a habit, you know. Like we have these behaviors; they turn into habits, and then to break a habit, like to break an eating habit, that's two weeks. Oh my like, god, we can't do that. I mean, Lala we said, can do that. We just don't want to. She said something like, it takes 21 days to form a habit or something like that. So we have to survive three weeks yeah, okay. and then it'll become a habit. Okay, <laughs> next question. Okay. Quick. <laughs> quick. Quick, quick, quick. Quick, next question. Avoid, avoid, avoid. Okay. Um, in the last five years, what new belief, behaviour or habit has improved your life? Last five years. Okay. Um, probably the first five years that I was here, I, I moved, like, since I moved here. So that was, what, 2007 till, like, 2012 or even, like, till 2000, maybe 15. Mm-hmm. Most of the things evolved around me and my own success. 
maybe last five years, I wanted my own journey and my own experience to help other people. Yeah, nice. So that will be my last five years. Um, like most improved. Yeah, my my mind. Yeah, my mindset and then the the belief has shifted towards helping other people from yes. what would help me. Yeah. So I don't want anyone going through what I've gone through. So I would like to do what I can do. I would like to know what I can do to help those people not go through what I've gone through. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay, last question. Mm. Now, I can't wait for this answer. <laughs> when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, what do you do? Wow, okay. Well, um, look, I think the ideal answer will be like... Eat. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. That's mine. I think my honest answer will be like avoid... Like yep. when I'm overwhelmed by something, I'll find something to <laughs> take your mind off. Yeah, yeah. And rather than like finding a solution to overcome that, mm-hmm. so I thought you were gonna say you're knitting. I like knitting. Oh, cross stitching. Yeah, cross stitching or knitting, or doing anything to do with hands. Like that's great. But I think that's like my avoiding strategy. <laughs> so I like to come up with some strategy to um, overcome those overwhelming moments or stressed moments. Yeah. Um, that would be lovely. I mean, we both know that mindfulness is the key answer here. If you yes. read any books, but we both avoid mindfulness. Avoid it. <laughs> and it, it puts me to sleep when I listen to like a mindful yes. podcast or like video clip. I feel like together we'll just if we if things are getting hard and we're trying to um, avoid them, we'll tend to go to the local IGA. Oh my god! <laughs> How much money have we spent? I reckon. I reckon that I they could should have sponsor saved. us. <laughs> sponsor us for what? Thirty-year-old rugby players come sponsor us. We're a liability. <laughs> there is a ninety percent chance we'll be injured in the next season. <laughs> We'll give them a shout out. Yeah. All right. Well, we're that's fifty minutes worth of of a good yarn. Wow. But, um, I think for all of you listeners, Digi is uh, going to be a regular on my show because I'm when always I get around, yeah, <laughs> when I get nervous, <laughs> I tend to pull her in to have a discussion so that I'm not talking to myself. So anyway, thanks so much, Dig. Thank you for love having you me. Heaps. Thank you. Love you too. Talk to you soon. Talk to you now. You've been listening to the Challenge Her podcast with Morgan Tioka. Follow, rate, and share to help empower and educate young women.